everyone and welcome to Shot Reverse Shot, a film and television podcast in which we talk about a theme which changes from episode to episode. My name is Edwin Davis and joining me this week through the miracle of satellite technology, it's Emily Benita. Hi Emily, how's it going? Well, Ed, well, first podcast of 2020, first mm. podcast sans Matt Risby. Mm. Obviously because it's this time of year, I'm really ill. So <laughs> I'm glad to be here, but there's trepidation. What can I say? We've got a lot to get through, and I'm just aware of the, the considerable cinematic shoes I'm about to fill, is all I'm saying. Yeah, it's it's a heavy responsibility, but uh, I, I feel we'll be able to carry it into this brand new decade of podcasting. So we'll, well I guess we'll leap right into it. Uh, we'll have a quick rundown of some of the news that's happened over the, over the Christmas and New Year break. Fairly quiet i think in some respects almost almost too quiet maybe ed i don't know Mm, maybe maybe world events have taken center stage for once yeah yeah there's uh yeah every or or i i think everyone's just being like oh the globes are coming up yeah let's all just focus on the golden globes which happening uh, tonight at the time uh, we're recording they haven't happened yet and uh yeah i'm not really fussed about the Golden Globes this year. Rarely fussed about them in general. I'm especially not fussed with Ricky Gervais hosting because, uh, yeah, it just seems like it's going to be kind of very tired and hacky as so much of his recent work has been. And, yeah, even though a lot of movies I like are nominated and, you know, there's something... I I will be happy if, like, a Parasite or uh, an Irishman does really well and you know that kind of gives them some momentum going towards the the oscars in like a month and a half or whenever they're scheduled to be held i i i just find it very hard to really care that much about the hollywood foreign press association yeah i mean other than the golden globes it's just a thing of like oh yeah what else do they what else do they do mm. i'm looking through the nominees and it just seems a wee bit it feels quite random. Like I feel like there are other films that could have been better uh, represented. I don't know. We'll see. But you know, there's the new Carol Burnett Award, which is interesting. Mm. But yeah, Ricky Gervais in particular is like surely after Sandra Oh and Andy Samberg smashed it. Why would you go back? I mean, maybe they are understandably and quite rightfully busy with literally doing anything else, but. Mm just bringing back Gervais after what was such a quality year and that actually generated a lot of good feeling towards the Golden Globes. That feels like a step back. Um, So I look forward to seeing whatever horrible, hacky, tired jokes he makes tomorrow. But you're right, like if there's any sort of like indication as to how some of these films will do in the Oscars maybe. And it's this weird thing where like, for me, where I am in the collection of smattering of islands and uh, former colonial principalities within which I live, um, there's quite a few films which I haven't seen yet mm. um, yeah. and which we'll be going into in greater detail, of course, in this particular episode. But it's just like Joker is nominated for so much, Marriage Story, The Irishman actually isn't coming through 
that much. I don't know. It just it it feels quite scattershot to me. I think the nominations, but I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, and there's a little bit of the uh, weird thing where, like, I am glad that they have the musical and comedy category because it often means that movies that otherwise would never get attention get you know a little bit of a moment in the sun but then you have something like once upon a time in hollywood where you're like it has jokes but that's not not it's not really a comedy it's just like a movie that has kind of a relaxed vibe to it so i guess you're pushing forward in comedy it's yeah it's kind of like weird where that that binary creates its own weird problems yeah for sure i mean marriage story is probably funnier and more could class more as a musical or a comedy than once upon a time i don't know Mm. but you're right i think that's probably the only sort of benefit to the golden globes is that something because comedies or anything that isn't like incredibly heavy and worthy is often overlooked by the oscars Mm. there is some appreciation for something a bit different I mean, it'd be fun if Knives Out could get an award, even though I'm not, like, crazy about it. I think it still still deserves some attention. Mm. And it has done very well. I think this weekend it passed $130 million in the US, which is very good for, you know, as we, we talked about on the, the Best of the Year episode, it's very good for a movie that's not based on any pre-existing property and is was sold pretty much just on, hey, this is a good cast and this seems fun. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> why don't Why don't you go and enjoy yourself watching uh, people be acerbic towards each other? And yeah, so it would be nice if it if it does well, if it comes away with uh, with some recognition, and also you know like the other good thing about that comedy category is I do feel as if it does give a boost to movies that you know if you're nominated in there, maybe that does get Academy viewers to take another look at something that otherwise they may dismiss as too lightweight. For sure. But uh, we'll we'll see how that turns out. Uh, In other news, and speaking of award season, uh, there was a funny story the other week uh, talking about kind of recent fascinations of of mine um, that Universal have stopped supporting cats for uh, (laughs) for your consideration campaigns. Basically, for, for people who are unfamiliar with how this sort of thing works every year when you have the award season come along the production companies and the studios that put out these movies they will send out screeners to people if you remember a critics body when i was part of the online film critics society for a number of years you know they would you would get packages full of dvds of all of that year's films and uh, you know inside there'd be a booklet which would say for consideration in these categories and they would say who they you they thought you should you should consider for various roles this year the uh, Rise of Skywalker FYC package got a lot of eyebrows raised because they listed, like, Carrie Fisher under Best Supporting Actress for consideration. It's like, she's to say that she's in that movie is uh, is charitable, considering that they were just using deleted scenes from a previous movie to kind of awkwardly put her in there. Or to say, like, consider Kelly Marie Tran. It's like, you... You did her so dirty <laughs> that I really don't feel like uh, you then being like, oh, you should award her feels uh, like a kick in the teeth or whatever. But they they pretty much put up, the, these companies basically send out screeners for everything that they think has a chance. So for a company to 
take cats off of their for your consideration page and to have basically said yeah we are not really pushing this thing because it's got terrible reviews it's become it's been a massive flop in the US and we are frankly quite embarrassed by the whole situation is kind of remarkable it's not something that I can think of happening in recent memory that wasn't you know a film that got wrapped up in some sort of scandal the only other example i could think of was the louis ck movie i love you daddy oh which god i forgot screeners of which yes yeah, screens of which were sent out one of which i do have and i've never <gasps> watched it but they were sent out and then that scandal broke literally like the week before everyone started getting those screens in their boxes so they were clearly in transit at the time that the the that you know everything started going down with louis ck and the, the movie lost its distributor that's the only time i can think of whereas this is literally just them saying yeah this this has not gone well for us we're not going to go through the charade of spending money and time trying to get people to pay attention to cats when we have like 1917 to promote I just can't get over that you've got a screener of I love you daddy what cursed cursed thing to have mm, yeah I know that some people did sell theirs after after that all went down you could find them on eBay and I just I I found that to be an incredibly uh, tacky thing to do <laughs> <laughs> but it would have been the only time that you could get away with that because there are very strict rules on what you're meant to do with them you're meant to um you know you're not meant to lend them out you're in many cases they tell you to destroy them after a certain period of time and some ask for them to be returned although i'm pretty sure not many people do but yeah like it and selling them is absolutely you know verboten because it's like watermarked and it, they can tra- track it back to you but i think in that instance they were, that was probably the only time where no studio would try and you know take you to court over it for being like yeah this isn't really hurting our business in fact you sending this out and getting it farther away from someone whose opinion could hurt this movie is probably the right thing. And our final bit of news before we go into the main uh, topic of this episode is the fallout of the release of The Rise of Skywalker, the ninth Star Wars movie. Matt and I obviously did our kind of long, fairly measured, I think, deep dive into The Rise of Skywalker a few weeks ago. If people haven't heard that, they should they should go back. That was, that was quite fun and cathartic for me. <laughs> But uh, since then, it's been very interesting because, you know, the movie is continuing to open in different territories. And obviously the people involved are still being interviewed about it. They're still talking about it. They're still going through the press thing. And there has been a notable shift in the tenor of a lot of those interviews uh, than the pre-release. Pre-release, I think, was defined by uh, a lot of people seemingly having been told to badmouthed The Last Jedi in the gentlest terms that they could get away with of being kind of like, you know, oh, you know, they, they, this was this was really good, you know, and then we kind of feel like, you know, the last movie you know, it didn't exactly give people what they wanted or whatever, and now, uh, like, Oscar Isaac and John Boyega have both given interviews where they are clearly just kind of like, yeah, we're, we're done with this, we don't <laughs> care, They're, we're not going to be working on another Star Wars movie, we can say that, you know, they were completely wrong to give Pope a love interest just to seemingly tamp down on all of the online fandom around it and, you know, this the shipping of those two characters and things like that. And pretty much everyone involved in the movie from a behind-scenes creative 
point of view has given some interview in which they have tried to kind of seemingly pass the book onto someone else uh the or they have talked about how oh this thing that didn't make sense in the movie or seemed really rushed that's explained in a book somewhere or oh yeah we filmed some stuff explaining how the emperor came back but we decided we didn't need it because uh it would be too too complicated or something like that or in the case of uh chris terrio the writer of the movie and the guy who i think has been getting a lot of the flack for it because he previously has written some not very good movies but you know i think the the writing process on a movie is a little more complicated and it's kind of hard to say for certain that he's responsible but he certainly has been fielding a lot of questions about it and he's been saying things like it was that he wanted to put kelly marie tran in more but other people said no they didn't want to include rose's characters so much or that um the problems in the movie came from them trying to deal with uh carrie fisher having passed away but them still wanting to put Leia in and you kind of thinking uh, and someone said, you know, like, women are labelled difficult to work with even if they've been dead for three years. <laughs> um, you know, so I I just think it's that's another case, like the cats thing, where it's very rare to see the people involved in a movie go so quickly into the kind of, like, defensive crouch and to go in more detailed than just, like, you know, this typical, ah, we made this for the fans, not the critics or whatever. But for them to be seemingly trying to uh, walk away with their heads held high from the whole thing is is quite fascinating to me. It is fascinating. And I would add just a touch pathetic. It feels very kind of defensive and a bit whiny and mm. a bit like a bit so almost like we're sort of but I'm a nice guy sort of equivalent of trying to justify what they've done. And I'd argue it's not entirely dissimilar from the Golden Globes going back to having Ricky Gervais as a host. It's like, okay, so we're going mm. back to J.J. Abrams and we're just kind of sweeping this all under the rug, which is just such a shame that it's just kind of limped to a finish, the, the whole Skywalker saga. Um, and even though Boyega and Isaac don't, um, you know, they're, they're kind of free from Star Wars possibly for a bit, as it were, they're still going to be working for Disney more than likely, so we'll see what happens. Mm. And it has been interesting seeing that like uh adam driver as far as i can tell has done no press for the movie and you wonder how much of uh, you know because clearly there were a lot of reshoots i wonder if somewhere along the line that was a deal they reached it's like okay i'll come back and do reshoots and you know record vo to kind of try and link together this disparate story that you're making but i will not go out and talk about it i will instead go and campaign for the report or marriage story or the other 12 movies i was in this year yeah busy guy it's it's amazing if you have the sort of career where being in a star wars film is kind of your eighth priority Mm, yeah i think he has he and oscar isaac both kind of have the sweet spot there where they were both really well established prior to having been having made star wars movies that it was kind of a fun thing for them, I think, to kind of be given this thing that was really outside of whatever they'd really done before. But it never felt like, oh, this is the thing that necessarily they'll be remembered for. Or they didn't treat it that way. They treated it as, this is like a big job, but at the end of the day, I will also, you know, still be going back and making movies with Jim Jarmusch or whatever. Yeah, I wonder what the future holds for Daisy Ridley Mm. in terms of, 
where she goes next because she's pretty much the only person in that cast who didn't have an established career and she was essentially plucked from fresh from reasonably well compared to sort of the global awareness of star wars from reasonable obscurity so it'd be interesting to see what what moves she makes next mm, yeah i think the only thing i know that she's got is uh the adaptation of chaos walking that may or may not ever see the light of day of course, that has yeah. been uh in in limbo and been reshot and you know is seemingly gonna come out this year but uh no one seems to know for certain like that'll be uh interesting to see if if that ever if that ever comes out yeah yeah so we'll go into the main topic for this week which is our preview of 2020 of the movies that are coming out this year that uh we're particularly excited about or interested in or just curious about uh as uh, is always the case we're going by uk release date because obviously it would be uh, unfair to disadvantage uh, you, Emily, by having <laughs> you only discuss movies that may or may not come out in the UK for a very, very long time. <laughs> so we'll we'll focus on movies that you uh, realistically have a chance to see um, <laughs> and that our listeners will have a chance to see because obviously uh, we also have a lot of listeners in the UK. And as a result of that, the first few months of this year are really stacked as far as UK releases go, because all the movies that came out in November and December in the US came out are, are coming out. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so you all have a lot to look forward to. So we'll kick it <laughs> off with the Safdie Brothers Uncut Gems, which comes out, I believe, like uh, in a, in a couple of weeks. I think the tenth it comes out on in the UK and is on Netflix from the thirty first because Netflix had the international distribution uh, rights to it. Uh, I I seen this movie already. I went to go and see it on Christmas Day, as you know, as, as tradition. Me and my mum like to go and watch unChristmassy movies on Christmas Day, and uh, this was a decidedly unChristmassy movie, but uh, it's it's real good. I'm stoked. Other people I know who've been able to see it have just spoken about the giddy levels of anxiety they experience watching Mm. it and i love adam sandler in a proper manic dramatic role like yeah it's not that anyone's forgotten punch drunk love it's just that he seems to have signed quite a lucrative deal with netflix and has just gone to the hilt with rom-coms and family stuff which he's always been able to do like he's got a great business model you can't deny that it's just Mm. i've i've really missed seeing him do a role that has that kind of range because i think he is actually a a great actor and i think this is gonna bring all of that to the fore um and just the cinematography uh the jewel encrusted furby i'm all in ed (laughs) i'm all in yeah i think it's it's going to be a really fun movie and it, it already has been a really fun movie to discuss with people over here who have seen it because one of the things about it that really has stood out to me in the discourse is how many different kinds of movies it seems to remind people of. Like, there's obvious uh, reference points to like, you know, the work of Cassavetes, that kind of, like, nervy, on-the-street, um, n- uh, New York filmmaking, casting unknowns uh to kind of like play significant roles or just finding people who live in and work in the diamond district and being hey do you want to say do you want to be in a movie which is kind of incredible it was amazing finding out uh, after watching it how many of the people who 
show up in small incidental roles or even significant roles had never acted before and were just you know cast in the movie because they had the right look and just fit this world that the Safdie brothers have created so perfectly but also like some of the people who have talked about it you know I've seen the Safdies say that a big influence on it kind of sonically and um, tonally is Akira um, which is really clear when listening to the to the score by Daniel Lapatin and the uh, you know there's also people who've compared it to The Exorcist which also <laughs> totally makes sense like it's a it's a movie that feels like it's not a movie that is reaching for all these things but it just seems to have this really singular feeling to it where as you watch it you're constantly trying to pull out different things to try and put it into a context and that's one of the things that's really exciting about it mm. um uh the next movie on the list is a beautiful day in the neighborhood the new marielle heller movie uh which is sort of about mr rogers played by uh, tom hanks in the movie thing is mr rogers wasn't really a didn't really have the same cultural impact here obviously because it was in he's american it's in the u.s he was very invested mm. in the moral character of of the kids but friend american friends of mine always kind of get this like endearing glossy look in their eyes whenever they start talking about him and i did watch the documentary won't you be my neighbor Mm -hmm. um and that really affected me um just in terms of a it's a really good introduction and groundwork as to who he was and the impact that he had so i'm really interested to see it from a sort of fictional dramatic angle and i just love matthew reese you know now the mm. americans is done like him sort of going out to play and, and do different stuff but yeah as you say ostensibly it's about mr rogers but really i think it from from what i can tell from the trailer it's it, you know matthew reese is our protagonist <laughs> if my intuition is right and if it is about sort of empathy and being honest about why and how you're scared then hopefully it'll be up there with uh, John Mulaney and the uh, Sack Lunch Bunch, <laughs> which of course I think draws on yeah. Mr. Rogers a lot, but that was my sort of late contender of one of the best things of last year and any year ever, I think. I'm going to have to watch it again. But it looks really beautiful. I love Marielle Heller as well. Mm. Um, I think her quasi sort of fictional stuff is really brilliant. Like, can you ever forgive me, as we spoke a fair bit about um, last time on our roundup of 2019? she manages to sort of dramatize in this kind of almost journalistic basis, you know, in terms of adapting autobiographies. So I'm looking forward to seeing what, what she does. And I think there looks to be a lot of magic in the cinematography. Yeah. No, I'm I'm stoked. Yeah. I think uh, for anyone who might be interested in it because of the, the Tom Hanks or the Matthew Reese of it all, or the Mario Heller at all, uh, the documentary that Emily mentioned, uh, Won't You Be My Neighbour, is a really good movie to watch in advance of it because not only is the movie kind of very rooted in, you know, the idea of who Mr. Rogers was and what he meant to a lot of people of a of a certain generation because uh, Reese is playing a journalist who is sent to profile Mr. Rogers for an issue of Time magazine on Heroes, but also because... Heller takes a lot of cues from the aesthetic and style of the Mr. Rogers Neighbourhood TV show. And it 
helps to be familiar with that because otherwise I could find a lot of her choices very confusing, very alienating, mm. um, but in a good way. They're choices which I think totally make sense for the story she's telling, but I think not necessarily knowing the backstory or not being familiar with the show could certainly the the opening scenes of that movie would be really really weird <laughs> but uh yes that's a very that's a very very good movie okay next up we have sam mendy's 1917 a uh, drama set in world war one about a uh, group of men who were sent to prevent uh, a group of other soldiers from wandering into a uh, an ambush and it is kind of most notable obviously it's notable because uh, sam mendy's directed it and he's obviously a, a major director but also big and it's got a kind of a big cast of, of of people showing up in small roles of all of these different kind of british luminaries but also because it's shot by roger deacon in a facsimile of a single shot which is you know kind of the thing that is getting a lot of attention of people talking or oh, i think it's actually uh, two long shots because there is clearly a point in the movie where it kind of changes over from different locations or, or something but that that's kind of the thing that has been much discussed about it is the style and the way in which they have stitched together this uh, real technological feat of making it seem as if you're watching a movie consisting of one or two uh, lengthy uh, lengthy takes yes i in terms of lengthy takes the weird thing is is that the trailer which left my heart in my mouth didn't mm. really use that as a selling point at all which is yeah. interesting well, it's, it's hard to in a trailer you have to cut it up of course <laughs> yeah because otherwise then your trailer's just like you know 10 15 minutes long or whatever but there didn't seem to be like not even a teaser trailer do you know what i mean like you could do something quite there's a bit sort of towards the end of george mckay just absolutely like pegging it through um through through one of the battlefields everything mm-hmm. so exploding around him and yeah the trailer's more like here's pretty much everyone you would expect in a film like this you know colin firth benedict cumberbatch but it was just so incredibly tense and and bleak like i like a war film that doesn't focus too much on glory um because i think that's actually quite insulting to anyone who's been through been through conflict and i mm. wasn't I'm I'm generally do not have any desire to watch war films at all, but this, in terms of its like time constraints and maybe even sort of like real, like sort of edging into real time perspective, and to actually show true horrors of war in terms of like a lot of the bodies that you see in the trailer, I think I think it's going to be brutal, mm. but yeah, I. Th- but but it, it will manage to be tense without being a kind of disrespectful thriller, I hope. Rather than mm-hmm. using war as a gimmick, it's actually underpinning in terms of what, what war is about. And again, love George Mackay. So, yeah, excited to see how that comes together. Mm, yeah, uh, me too. Uh, the next one I have on the list here is The Personal History of David Copperfield, the new movie by Armando Iannucci starring uh, Dev Patel as David Copperfield, uh, directed, of course, uh, based, of, co- of course, on the uh, Charles Dickens novel with uh, an all-star cast, including uh, Hugh Laurie, Tilda Swinton, Peter Capaldi, uh, yeah, uh, co-written by Simon Blackwell. And, yeah, it's just... I'm very, very excited about this. I've, I really uh, loved uh, Amanda Iannucci's 
first couple of movies and I'm really glad to see that he is getting uh, a chance to to make something that feels uh like a a new take on kind of very well trodden material. Absolutely. What's exciting about Ianucci's take on this in particular is that you know Dev Patel is front and center Ianucci understanding how many of our representations of Dickens's time and historically are just are just incorrect they're inaccurate by only having white people in them like mm. this is the height of the British Empire not to say that that's yeah. a good thing but that was open doors immigration policy um absolutely no limit at all because if you're the seat of the empire why would you not want to come and uh, and be there which is obviously very sadly not not the case at all now and to me I'm probably loading too many of my hopes on this that were not quite met with knives out because that cast is just brilliant as an mm. ensemble and to see Dev Patel maybe play a sort of straight man as everyone else is just like madly eccentric like Ben Whishaw um and I think I really loved um the death of Stalin and in the loop as well like Inuchi's actually I think really makes a fantastic ensemble film like mm. everyone plays to their strengths but no one outplays each other because there's not ever yeah, really yeah. that there'll be a protagonist, but they never actually take the full brunt of the story. Like everyone has a good gag, everyone has a scene stealing moment, um, and it and it looks genuinely quite fun and a bit a bit hyper, and I'm into that. Yeah, I think there's. Um... We obviously talked a lot about the uh, the favorite um, when we were talking about our our best films of the year, and also there's a couple of other movies coming out uh, this year that kind of fit into this category of you know people saying hey there's a lot more that you can do with these old literary classics that all this these these periods that are always often so kind of drab or so kind of like hermetically sealed and dull that you know like it's always nice to see someone taking a swing at saying hey maybe there's something in this material that you know you could do something really interesting with and Armando Inucci uh, certainly seems to be a filmmaker who is really interested in taking things that or periods that don't necessarily lend themselves to to comedy as uh, was definitely the case with Death Stalin and really finding interesting things to do with them. So yeah, I'm really excited to see what he does with Dickens. Next up for me is a movie called The Turning, which is a horror movie directed by Floria Sigismondi, who is a, a film director, a uh, most known for previously directing the movie The Runaways about Joan Jett. Um, I think this is her first feature since then, but since then she's become a wildly prolific director of music videos and television. And I'm mainly including it because the trailer for it I've seen a fair few times before uh, films over the last couple of months. And every time it has terrified me. It's a lot of creepy children's stuff, uh, which is always just creepy, even if the movies end up not being particularly good. And it also stars uh, Mackenzie Davis, who I love. Uh, she's one of my favourite working actors. And this is, for me, a movie that I, I, I hope f ends up falling into that category of movies that you go in with not particularly high hopes about because of like the, the genre and you know the trailer maybe making it seem a little by the numbers and it surprising through sheer craft so that's kind of like one of mine where i i want i, I really would like it to be good 
because yes. the, the trailer for it is very, very effective. Yeah. And then what else? We've got uh, A Hidden Life, the latest Terrence Malick movie, which uh, I saw uh, on New Year's Eve. It was my last movie of the decade, and uh, it's very, very good for people who aren't as into later Malick as I am. His kind of like digital experiments and you know kind of like the wavy camera work and you know the kind of the the plotlessness of his more recent work which i i personally find really enjoyable but a lot of people don't really get on with um this is kind of his most narratively focused movie in a very very long time it's all about a uh an austrian man who refused to fight for the nazis and the impact of that on him and his family you know like how uh, eventually it leads to him being labelled a traitor and going on trial and it is a series of dialectics about the who you owe your duty to, do you go out to your ideals, to your faith, to your uh, religion, what happens when those things come into contact, to your country and it's uh, I, I've, I found it to be a very moving movie about you know, what happens when your ideals are really put to the test in the most kind of like horrifying way mm. uh, possible and every everything in it is is very good august deals great in the lead role it also i believe is the last or among the last films for both bruno gantz and uh, michael nyquist who both filmed their roles before passing away in the last couple of years so uh, for fans of of their work you know it's nice to see them back again and yeah yeah for me i just thought it was a real lovely note for uh, Malik to end his one of his certainly his most prolific decade on mm, mm. Uh, and last of January just uh, the latest film from Makato Shinkai uh, Weathering With You uh, Makato Shinkai is the director of the uh, hugely successful anime movie Your Name which came out a couple of years ago and was one of my favourite films of that year yeah. uh, and I'm just really really excited to see his uh, follow up because I thought that movie was great I thought his short that he did a few years ago uh garden of words was also really really wonderful he's just uh, got a tremendous visual sense and i'm really excited to see what his uh his follow-up will be mm. so we'll move on to february again a month that's just laden down with uh movies that are very very exciting because uh you know they're they're kind of being released as part of the award season and everyone's kind of tilled over them so much in the american film press over the the, the last couple of months uh none more so than parasite the latest from bong joon ho a just absolutely thrilling and exciting and wonderful dark satire comedy action movie horror uh you know like like many of the of, of bong joon ho's movies kind of hard to uh boil down to any one thing um but uh yes just just one of my favorite movies of last year and a uh, a movie that's got a weird amount of uh awards buzz uh recently suggesting that maybe it's a, a serious contender at the oscars this year which when i watched it i i did not expect i thought it would be very much in the category of oh this is a movie that everyone likes but that the oscars will be completely uh, blase about but uh yeah everyone seems to think that it's got a real good shot at, at least getting a best picture nominee which nomination which would be uh really quite cool I cannot wait for this. I really cannot, and I have to. The discourse on on Twitter and elsewhere, just everyone seems to be completely blown away by it. And I'm trying not to read too much into it because I'd much rather mm. just have the experience, 
think this is the one I'm most excited for out of everything. I also think we just have, it's weird, isn't it? Kind of when we, when we come to do this preview episode, because we do just have much more detail about everything right now that is within the award season rush. Mm. And everything is a lot more set in terms of uh, dates, generally for theatrical releases anyway. Um, because I certainly found in researching for this, there's only really stuff in the first three months of the year that I'm interested in seeing. Mm. But I, I know more will, more info will come out um, as uh, as the year goes on, obviously. But right now, from this perspective, it's kind of interesting just to be like, oh, well, out of all of these, yeah, it seems like I'm just going to be constantly in the cinema this month and next month and then eh, we'll see. But yeah, Parasite by far, I think it, it may sort of fall into to a similar kind of dark satire um that the handmaiden did for me mm. as well um so i'm really excited for that it looks incredible as well just that poster is so striking yeah yeah definitely i mean and it may well become my film of 2020 and early on in the year as as the favorite did with me for last year yeah i think it's always interesting this time of year because like you say that the the last months of the year obviously we're only going through to um august in this preview because the last months at this point are always fairly thin but you know it's, it's because sundance is only just about to happen and that's where a lot of movies will get bought and will get scheduled for reward season some movies that are probably going to be big contenders at the end of the year probably haven't even been filmed yet because you know like uh, if if they're not effects heavy, it's pretty easy to start a movie at the start of the year and have it out in theatres by like November. So yeah, the, the towards the end of the year looks a little thin, but yeah, it's certainly when all of the awards season uh, overspill starts to come out in January, and February in the UK, uh, it really is kind of a bounty of riches. Uh, speaking of which, the movie. Um, from 2019 that I was most annoyed I didn't get a chance to see before the end of the year uh, is uh, Celine Sciamma's Portrait of a Lady on Fire which is uh, a movie that I've been looking forward to since it played I think it played at Cannes last year and everyone was just absolutely raving about it and I'm really excited to see it I really enjoyed uh, Celine Sciamma's previous movie Girlhood and uh, I'm really excited about this one it's the story of a uh, a relationship between a uh, between two women, one of whom is hired to paint the other, who is kind of a rich uh, kind of governess uh, figure, I believe, or you know, kind of part of the aristocracy in France, and the relationship that then develops between them. Every review I've read about it makes it sound absolutely beautiful and ravishing, and this like amazing love story, but also visually, from what I've seen in terms of trailers and stills and things like that. It looks just really, really gorgeous. And uh, Celine Sciamma is a filmmaker whose work I have loved everything I've I've seen of what she's written or directed. So I am just, I am just super, super excited to see this movie. Same. I haven't actually seen much of um, Celine Sciamma's work since Tomboy, but that's one of my favourite films ever. And mm. this, again for some reason I've got The Handmaiden on my mind Ed, there might be a little bit of that <laughs> to it as well um, Yeah. so yes cannot wait, looks like a really beautiful lush period drama which I don't think Sweden Shaman's really done um, she's sort of had her coming of age trilogy mm. and it's I th- I'm really excited in particular to see her kind of 
everything being quite heavily stylized and emphasis more on like gesture and movement and glances rather than an awful lot of dialogue mm. yeah looks lovely uh, next up in a very different vein is uh, The Invisible Man, written and directed by Lee Wannell, who is uh, almost certainly best known for his work on the uh, the Saw franchise. He was the co-creator of the Saw franchise, recently uh, directed the movie Upgrade from a couple of years ago, which got a lot of great notices, uh, particularly in comparison to Venom, a movie that it's very, very similar to. But uh, it's his take on the the classic H.G. Wells story, which uh, itself has been adapted and readapted uh, many times and is the first instance of Universal taking a new tack with their classic horror franchises. You know, obviously, we talked in the past about the Dark Universe and how that wasn't a particular success for them. Uh, their attempt to take these characters and to put them into a blockbuster Marvel-style connected universe uh, so what they have done instead is, you know, they've made, made the smartest decision maybe that they've made in recent years of just going to uh, Jason Blum and saying, hey, can you just do something with these and, you know, make these low budget, interesting horror takes on these classic characters. And the trailer for this, the fact that it stars uh, Elizabeth Moss, who is just one of our great actors um, currently working, and that it is very very much kind of taking a hard horror angle on it has me very excited to see what uh lee wanell can do with it yeah that trailer was just incredible i wasn't really fussed about the idea of a reboot but this is it like it's it's properly taking the material and running with it in a completely different direction something that feels bang up to date is really part of contemporary concerns and awareness and I think Elizabeth Moss is really gonna. She looks incredible in it, and I think it's good to see something that is a bit more rooted in in like a genuine horror, like a real tangible fear in that mm. sort of, in that history of social concerns in in horror films. Because as much as you and I, I Ed have have discussed, you know, ooh, a twenty four and exit more like existential ideas of of horror and picking up on sort of the mood of the time it's like well this is an actual social problem <laughs> that we're mm. sort of looking at here so i'm interested to see how they'll pull that off but yeah it, rarely am i sold on a trailer but this and 1917 as well to be fair are trailers that have really made me sit up and take attention so you know even if the film's terrible kudos to the trailers they've already done their job mm. A, uh, another Bloomhouse uh, production that has a uh, interesting trailer is their version of Fantasy Island, which also comes out in February. And again, I'm this one for me falls into that same bucket with like The Turning, where you know every year there's a movie like An Escape Room or Happy Death Day or Crawl, where you think it's it's kind of an okay premise. I'll wait, uh, you know, maybe it'll be okay. And then you watch and think, oh, the execution on this is is really fun and makes for a kind of a good time. And I like the idea of them taking Fantasy Island, which is obviously kind of a creaky old TV premise from the 70s and 80s, um, much made fun of. Uh, certainly, I remember in the 90s, everyone making fun of the idea of, of people going to an island to live out their fantasies and Raquel de Montalban's character and everything like that. So to take that and to be like, why don't we just, you know, cast Michael Pena in the 
Raquel de Montalban role and make it a horror where people are going to these to live out their darkest fantasies kind of feel well a it kind of feels like a stand-up routine from the 90s um to say like wow what if they did fucked up shit man but is at least kind of a novel way of tackling the remake and tackling material that if you were to adapt it straight may just be kind of a little limp and also wouldn't really mean anything to a kind of millennial or zoomer audience which is clearly what they're going for with with this Mm. uh also in february um a movie that i struggle to imagine doing well at all is doolittle the new adaptation of dr doolittle starring robert downey jr and which has a dragon in it um according to the most recent trailers which is the thing that makes me feel like everyone involved is very worried because uh there was no indication there was a dragon in the movie until the most recent trailer and the fact that they've started adding the 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 dragon in makes me think that someone somewhere is getting nervous about spending hundreds of millions of dollars on a new version of dr doolittle a character who only has been successful when played by Eddie Murphy and having absolutely nothing to do with the books that the character came from. And historically, when someone has tried to adapt the books faithfully, has resulted in, uh, as we've talked about, a, a seal being yeeted into the sea. So, <laughs> yeah, if there's if there's yeeting, then I can kind of get on board. But if it's yeetless, then what's the <laughs> point? Yeah, uh, and or even if there is yeeting, it's just going to be him. You know, it's going to be Robert Downey Jr. throwing throwing a green soccer ball away into a green wall, and then they'll just be uh, adding all the effects in later. But uh, yeah, I just I don't really see who this movie is for. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of it's kind of weird. I think most people only uh, associate Doctor Doolittle with the Eddie Murphy movies, which were like huge and successful because they were Eddie Murphy movies and they were funny and they had this kind of like real family-friendly comedy thing there. And I'm not really sure that Robert Downey Jr. outside of playing Iron Man, which obviously he had great success with, has that kind of pull to make people think, yeah, I'll go watch that. Yeah. (laughs) Another kind of would-be blockbuster of February is Birds of Prey, the newest addition to the DCEU which is uh, mainly interesting because it continues their trend of kind of ignoring a lot of the stuff that they did a few years ago, uh, where they did these wildly uh, expensive, not very successful movies with uh, under the uh, direction of, of largely of Zack Snyder, and they you know, kind of had this very drab and depressing palette and you know a kind of real grim tone. And since then have very much gone into the, hey, why don't we make movies that people find entertaining with uh, Aquaman, which was kind of this big technical spectacular Shazam, which was very clearly aimed at being kind of like a fun, apart from, you know, the horrifying car crash at the beginning was kind of seen as this kind of like fun romp. Uh, and this kind of seems to be going in the same vein. Uh, and I'm, I'm kind of interested to see how it turns out, mainly because I do really like Margot Robbie, I like Mary Elizabeth Winstead, and I think there is there is a space for a kind of big, outrageous, fun um, superhero movie, and the, the freedom that DC have given to their directors recently in terms of allowing them to do stuff that's maybe a little bit bolder and like not 
really kind of hewing to the tone that had been established by their previous movies uh, is is potentially very interesting to me. I agree, and it would be amazing if out of the ashes of Suicide Squad rose, rose the phoenix that was Margot Robbie as Harley mm. Quinn. Yeah, because she is, you know, that movie's... That's a very, very bad movie, but she is uh, she is really good in it, and she's a good choice for that character. So giving her a chance to do that separate, presumably, from the Joker and all of that sort of baggage would hopefully uh, allow her to shine a bit more. And also the fact that it's being directed by a female filmmaker would hopefully make it uh, a little less gross and lascivious as uh, Suicide Squad often was. Yes, one would hope. Uh, also in February, and we were talking earlier about adaptations that try to do something a little bit more fun and sparky with the material, we have a new version of Jane Austen's Emma, which um, I'm very, very excited about. Obviously, any adaptation of Emma has to compete, and particularly any one that wants to try and be like an update of the text or to try and do something different has to compete with the fact that we already got that with Clueless, <laughs> a really wonderful adaptation of Emma that like really did something wildly different with it and you know has kind of endured through the decades for because it's it's so good at that but uh based on the uh, the trailer for it the movie uh which is by Autumn DeWilde and stars Anya Taylor-Joy and Bill Nye um Anya Taylor-Joy in particular is someone who I've really loved seeing develop as an actress over the last couple of years um who was brilliant in The Witch and was a real great addition to the um, split uh, glass unbreakable kind of universe of films that uh, M. Night Shyamalan made and is just like this wonderful screen presence and seems to be having a huge amount of fun in the trailer. Uh, I think this th- there's a lot of potential there for this to be, a re- at the very least, a hugely fun sparky adaptation in the vein of something like Whit Stillman's Love and Friendship from a few years ago. For sure, and Josh O'Connor as well. Let's not forget mm-hmm. who I think is going from strength to strength. I think she's he's uh, such a brilliant actor, and I've been a huge fan of Autumn DeWilde's photography for a long time. So I think just as a visual experience, it's going to be luscious. And yeah, I think you're right, Ed. Like I get the sense that it'll be that quite like arch, and again, maybe a bit like the favorite, like you know, sort of a Whit Stillman, Yorgos Lanthimos period drama that has a has a more kind of contemporary wit. There's not there's not irony, it's different, but there's a kind of a stronger dramatic irony maybe and a knowingness that I think would be entertaining. Mm, yeah, and, and there is certainly like, I think Austin in the past has not been, you know, there, there are some great uh, adaptations out there, but I feel like a lot of adaptations of Austin kind of don't lean in so much to how funny her work can be. And Emma in particular is a very, very funny story. And, you know, it's kind of a a farce in a lot of ways. And I feel like there's a lot of opportunity there to really ramp that up. And based certainly based on the trailer, that seems to be the direction that they're going. And I'm I'm really excited to see how that turns out. Mm. Uh, And finally for February, Sonic finally comes out. (laughs) It's it's been a a long, wild ride. But uh, yeah, we finally finally get to see the new Sonic in... uh, in context, personally, I'm hoping for them to accidentally put the original version into theatres before they have to patch it out, uh, cats-like. But um, yeah, I just it, that movie has been 
has been on such a, a strange tear over the last year or so, particularly over the last six months since they announced they were pushing it back and they were going to redo his teeth, that I'm very excited to not watch it and for it to not do very well because it doesn't look like a very good movie. But for this kind of like weird saga we've been on of, of the trailer coming out, everyone just being so flabbergasted by the creative choices and the the studio having to be like, uh, sorry, we're trying to fix it. Yeah, I think that's probably... I mean, I wonder whether we would be focusing on it anywhere near as much as we would have done without the scandal, mm. should we call it? Yeah. I do feel like it would have warranted comment in, say, if if they had gone for the, the new look originally and it had just debuted and everyone was like, oh, yeah, that, that looks like a Sonic movie. Um, it would have garnered comment just because it was coming out, you know, a year after Detective Pikachu, which was a video game movie that did very, very well, got pretty solid reviews across the board, was like very much a movie that said, okay, we're just going to assume that people understand what Pokemon is. We don't need to kind of couch it in any sort of, oh, this character exists in a world that not like our own and having to arrive to it. They were very much kind of like, we're just going to assume that people understand this. And if they aren't familiar, that they'll kind of, catch on as the story goes along and by and large was like very successful at that so i think it certainly would have it would have probably been commented on just because oh look this this movie seems to be taking the more tried and true Mar- well i say tried and true but like the, the previously tried mario brothers approach and uh that maybe that's you know having been shown that you don't have to do that you can just say hey, here's a movie starring Sonic that takes place entirely on Morbius and is just about him and his adventures uh, and people will go along for with it. That could work. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be interesting to see how it ends up doing. And if uh, the people, when it fails, they'll write it off as being like, well, you know, it's because of all the controversy and all of this stuff, as opposed to, you know, it not looking like a very good movie and them maybe having the approaching the material in the least interesting way for sure so we'll go on to march now and first up is last night in soho the new uh, edgar wright movie which really is exciting all in its own really because uh, edgar wright historically has made some very very good movies i know so little about it i've just really only seen edgar wright's updates on instagram and it just looks incredible, like this kind of neon noir. And I really enjoyed Baby Driver. I enjoy how Edgar Wright has been kind of reaching out and trying different stuff. And yeah, there's kind of like maybe a sort of free fire feeling to it. I'm not sure I get the sense that it will probably be very scary and very funny. So yeah, I'm stoked. And it also has a fantastic cast. Uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, who we were just talking about, is, uh, I believe, the lead. Uh, Thomasin McKenzie, who's a, a really terrific uh, young actress. Uh, Matt Smith, who uh, can be very good. Uh, Diana Rigg, who's obviously wonderful and legendary. Terence Stamp, uh, the, uh, the Weasley twins from the Harry Potter movies, uh, playing twins again, surprisingly enough. Yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, I, I, like you, don't really know a huge amount about it. But that in in and of itself is quite exciting because uh, Edgar Wright's such a, an interesting filmmaker and someone who has done some absolutely fantastic work over the course of his career that I'm pretty much always going to be there on day one anyway. 
but it's nice to go in surprised weirdly you know that's kind of the same feeling i had about about parasite you know i've watched so many bong joon ho movies and never been disappointed by them Mm. and just going into that movie not knowing anything made it so pleasurable and i'm really excited to avoid all of the trailers for this uh and trying to go in as fresh as possible also in march we have mulan the live action adaptation of the disney movie from 1998 uh which uh you you know in the past we've been very critical of disney and very skeptical about these remakes um with good cause because you know they've not all been particularly interesting but i do like the look of this one from the trailers it's directed by nikki caro who's a very very good filmmaker and it's got people like uh, Jet Li and Donnie Yen in it, which is is very, very exciting to see. Lee Gong. And it's just a wonderful story. I really enjoyed uh, the original Mulan when it came out. And I would, I would rate it as one of the uh, one of my favourites of the, the 90s Disney movies. And the trailers that have been released to this make this one seem really visually very striking. A lot less kind of drab and boring than what we saw with the lion king or you know just kind of flat as what we saw of aladdin or dumbo so hopefully there'll be a lot of stuff to enjoy in this one and this one will hopefully book the trend of disney live action movies being just not not merely worse than the movies that they're remakes of but just like kind of really drab depressing experiences Yes, Mulan. Speaking of amazing trailers, hello. I, mm. When it came out, chatting about it with some pals of mine, are all like, well, gosh, don't we all feel quite emotional already? I think Mulan's probably one of the few Disney adaptations that warrants a live-action remake because it will look stunning. And also the original, it wasn't like it. it's sucking the joy out of something that was inherently meant to be quite light-hearted and jokey Mm. with some dramatic turning points like this you can play i mean it is straight drama really yeah um and we'll probably actually improve on some elements because it doesn't look like we've got talking dragons maybe that's just been supplanted into (laughs) doolittle yeeting tbc yeah i think that certainly uh, as well the fact that it's an adaptation of a mythical story or you know a, a legendary story from Chinese mythology that has been told many, many times before. There's lots of different material they can draw on. It's not like, oh, this is the only version of this story that we can tell. It's like, oh, we can we can drop Mushu and we can have some different elements. We can have a very different tone. We can make it more... We can put more emphasis on the physical combat. We can introduce a witch character who looks like a very formidable villain. Uh, yeah, it looks very different to the... Uh, previous one in terms of tone and what they're going for whereas that definitely was not the case with aladdin or the lion king in april now also like in march there's like onward the new pixar movie but in all honesty i'm not massively fussed on that which is a shame um because pixar have a decent track record but uh, a great track record up to a point but the trailers for this don't really fill me with a huge amount of uh, enthusiasm yeah so we'll go on to april which has uh, no time to die the new uh, bond movie directed by carrie fukunaga which 
has like a pretty good sleek trailer so far and you know has daniel craig back in kind of like dutifully doing his duty <laughs> once more not merely as bond kind of being like all right fine i'll get back into it but seemingly him himself being like right okay we'll make one more and then i'll go and be uh benoit blanc for another 12 minutes <laughs> like i like carrie fukunaga i think he's a very good uh solid filmmaker i think that the, there's a lot of potential there for a good solid down the road action movie particularly considering they built up this really good solid ensemble cast around uh daniel craig over the last three or four movies and you know i'm always at the very least interested for a new bond movie because the character is uh so iconic and i do like what craig has done with it even though of the movies that he has been in like i maybe like two of them love carrie fukunaga's work um his Jane Eyre is really up there for me. Mm. And obviously Phoebe Waller-Bridge is on board. So there might be something... I hope there's some of that slightly anarchic, arch, madly witty bits in it. Because I don't think like Bond's not going to suddenly not become like pretty much a B-grade misogynist. But mm. it does look quite fun with the addition of the new 007 it could it could just be the the right slice of ridiculous fun that we need maybe mm. yeah uh also in april we have a promising young woman the uh movie by emerald fennell who i believe was the showrunner of season 2 of killing eve she certainly worked on it correct and stars uh carrie mulligan as a woman who um you know details aren't explicitly stated in the trailer but certainly appears to be have been the victim of some sort of sexual assault earlier on in her life and that's has had a kind of tremendously awful effect on her career who then sets out to have revenge upon men who would uh, commit those sort of acts against other women and the, the trailer for this debuted to much uh, attention a few weeks ago it's got a great kind of biting tone to it it looks very stylish and carrie mulligan seems to be having a great time in it and you know as, as someone who is a terrific actress who never very rarely since a, uh, an education has really been given a kind of really great meaty role to work with it looks like she's really doing something good and interesting there and uh there's just this real kind of like dark subversive quality to it that i'm i'm very excited to see um how it plays out yes so we'll move on to may and our first mcu movie of the year i don't think there's that many mcu movies this year because like they just had a, ba a banner year so yeah kind of taking a moment to kind of just rest but um they're kicking off with black widow which is the spin-off that chronologically i believe takes place between civil war and infinity war and focuses on the cash the, the character of natasha romanov aka black widow played by uh, scarlett johansson this kind of feels like a movie that should have been made already because they yeah. said they were going to make it <laughs> for years. Um, and considering that, spoilers for Endgame, her character died uh, in that movie, it kind of feels like um, almost an afterthought that they're finally going back and saying, oh yeah, we should, we should do a movie with her. But the saving grace for me is that the cast they put around her 
is very interesting. Uh, it all has her kind of going back and seeing her, the various members of her family who apparently are also all people who murder people for, for money and profit, okay. uh, including <laughs> her sister, her sister played by Florence Pugh, who uh, I will follow into hell. I think she's a a really wonderful actress and uh, I'm really excited to see her do a, a fake Russian accent for a whole movie, as uh, which is also true of Ra- uh, Rachel Weisz, uh, who is playing her, I believe, playing her mother, and David Harbour, who plays her father. The I forget the character's name, but he's essentially the Soviet Captain America. And those all, to me, are like actors who I will, I really enjoy seeing work and who seemed like they could make for a fun throwaway standalone movie which seems to be what they're positing it as because again we uh, we know how natasha romanov's journey ends so like i'm kind i kind of am in the mood for kind of a standalone spy thriller but at the same time you know everything else in the trailer that's apart from the cast i look at and i kind of feel the enthusiasm draining out of me it's like oh like all the cgi and oh it's at the end of the world again you know like there's a there's a certain degree of fatigue that sets in with these movies when they all have to be on that scale yeah yeah i'm not you know me ed i'm flumped when it comes to these things i'll see it for rachel vice but i'm not i'm not a scarlet Johansson as much as you are <laughs> and i i struggle with mcu anyway so I'm I'm looking forward to a year that is quieter from them, to be honest. Mm. And yeah, this is a film that should have happened years ago. So it's interesting that like on a less, you know, on a year that's not a banner year, we have maybe this is the year where all of the um, women superheroes can just kind of sneak in the back, maybe. Mm. Yeah, that certainly that certainly seems to be uh, the case with uh, some of the other movies that are coming out uh, in in the summer. Um, but we'll get to those in a minute. The only other movie from May that I'm uh, kind of intrigued by is the third SpongeBob SquarePants movie. Uh, <laughs> I forgot we're up to three already. Gosh. Yeah, SpongeBob Sponge on the Run. And the main <laughs> reason, the main reason I'm interested in it is like I saw the trailer for this playing before uh, Little Women. Weirdly enough, presumably they're being put out by the same studio because otherwise i have no idea why that was this decision um but it's it's just really weird to see like 3d animated spongebob it's just it doesn't quite uh track with my understanding of the character but yeah i just find it really weird that that the cultural endurance of spongebob as a character you know like the series i think is still going i know it was off the air for a little while but i believe it kind of started up again after the last movie came out and even though it doesn't quite have the same kind of ubiquity that it once had it does seem to be this thing that kind of really is chugging along and the movies come out and they make like 150 million dollars and everyone just seems like oh yeah spongebob great love to see that guy every so often and yeah i just i just there's something really heartening about how this character that you know kind of debuted to bafflement from a lot of people 20 years ago at this point is still uh still chugging along uh and the movies have been particularly the first one have been really wild in terms of their current cameos and how they uh interact with the real world and things like that so that's always kind of fun to see 
June now, we have Wonder Woman 1984, the uh, follow-up to Wonder Woman, surprisingly enough, from uh, 2017, this time taking place in, you guessed it, the year 1984. And uh, I liked elements of Wonder Woman. I think it gets really boring in the back half when it has to Mm -hmm. become all like CGI mush and all kind of brown and tedious but um i really enjoyed a lot of the dynamics between uh gal gadot gal gadot sorry and um chris pine who is also back for this one uh somehow and <laughs> and what has been shown of it so far makes it seem like it's going to be again like um birds of prey or aquaman like uh warner brothers have basically said yeah you don't need to do the kind of like the gray serious stuff you can have a little bit of fun and you know i think that that tone probably suits what patty jenkins and that style was will suit what patty jenkins was going for because i do feel like the first one really did get bogged down when it was like oh yeah this kind of like sprightly fun dialogue is being shot with you know this horrible gray filter so um i'm i'm interested to see how that one turns out mm. We'll go on to July, as we said earlier. Summer, kind of bleak um, this year. <laughs> uh, I I joked on Twitter like the other week that like last year was one of the worst years for blockbusters in recent memory, and then like Rise of Skywalker came out, and I just said, yeah, I feel pretty good about this take. But this year, oof, like there's not even really much stuff in there that you would look at and say, oh yeah, sure, that could be good. Case in point, uh, we have Free Guy, the new movie from, uh, I believe, Sean Levy, starring Ryan Reynolds as an NPC in a massively multiplayer online game who gains sentience and starts fighting back. And the trailer for this got some kind of like people saying, oh, that could be good. And then I watched it and I was like, this just looks really bad. This just looks like a real facile not particularly interesting understanding of what video games are um i had a discussion with uh jules allen from um reverse shot about this and he said like oh he he thought that it kind of had a last action hero vibe to it and like i'd be i'd be delighted if it had a last action hero kind of feel to it but for me it doesn't really seem no one involved seems to have the understanding of the material the way that last action hero had an understanding of 80s action movies mm. so like i don't know just just and the ryan reynolds of it all that kind of real kind of like ironic detached thing that has become his bread and butter just that applied to something that isn't deadpool to me just seems like an absolute nightmare yeah, I mean, it's such a great premise, but then I wonder mm. whether Jumanji, the recent Jumanji reboot, has sort of cornered that market, yeah. really. Yeah, and there just doesn't seem to be... It's, it's just also very hard to make those kind of stories seem worth caring about. Like, the Wreck-It Ralph movies kind of succeeded because there's something, like, really likeable about those cartoony characters, the idea of making it about, like humanoid characters going through this sort of gt i guess gta online style world where everyone's murdering each other just kind of seems like it seems like a premise that could be really good and biting in the right hands or would make for a really good sketch mm. like yeah. the idea the idea of being the bank teller at the bank that's always constantly being robbed yeah uh, 
that's that's like a solid sketch idea but then it's like oh now we have to do another hundred minutes of material around it uh also in july uh another movie whose trailer debuted to a lot of attention and then i saw in a theater again also before little women that was a weird selection of trailers ghostbusters afterlife which to me just seems like i don't know i i i've never had a great uh affection for the ghostbusters franchise other than the cartoon which i loved uh, i yeah. loved the real ghostbusters but like the movies I didn't see until I was like 16 or 17 and I watched them. I was like, oh yeah, I, I can see why people like this. But it was never like, it was never my, uh, one of my movies. So um, I never felt like a huge ang- sense of anger about the, the 2016 ones. I watched it and I thought, okay, like I like these people, but this isn't, isn't really working terribly well. But it was, you know, still kind of like a fun, loose movie about people chasing after ghosts, which is what the first one was. And this kind of, what feels like this really reverential kind of like, oh my God, look at all this iconography from these older movies. Don't you respect it so much? Approach to it just seems like this is not the franchise that warrants that level of love and attention. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like they've kind of done a sort of like gear change of a Stranger Things approach of like, oh, everything's Mm. a bit weird and it's kids. And I'm like, you could have made a really decent film. We're starting to get back into the idea of like, maybe you don't need to attach something to a franchise for people to Mm. watch it. Like, I think there's an interesting film to be had that is fronted by like teenage girls like mm. paper girls is just sitting there as a property right i mean i don't know whether the options have been bought for that but it's a stunning comic book and probably going to tread similar sort of ground and also it just looks really po-faced like yeah. and i just think what's the point of having it within a franchise that it's a sequel or prequel or whatever that literally no one was asking for after a film that really didn't do very well and doesn't seem to follow on from it at all mm. um so yeah, bizarre. Uh, also, in terms of much delayed sequels, uh, July gives us Top Gun Maverick, <laughs> which has a great trailer. I will give it that, and uh, is directed by Joseph Kaczynski, who uh, whose previous movies I I quite enjoyed. I only saw the first forty minutes or something of Tron Legacy at a Disney preview event in twenty ten, but I thought it was like visually very arresting and. It was very cool to see what he did with, you know, this this property that had been sitting dormant for a really long time. And I thought that uh, Oblivion was a really good, interesting original sci-fi movie. So it's it kind of interesting to see him work with Tom Cruise again and again working with someone else's material to try and revive a movie that was, you know, a you know kind of huge colossal hit when it came out in 1986. And yeah, it was kind of like iconic. I'm not entirely sure what is gained from doing this again yeah Um, especially because the trailer is like there are like characters playing beach ball and things like that and it's like you know you're not going to top the homoeroticism of the original um you're not going to kind of generate that same weird mix of uh you know do, do they know that this has this like subtext or is this something that they've stumbled on you know feel yeah. to it that, that i think made that movie such a, an interesting text for a lot of people but also it's like it's just that top gun itself is such a weird 
pr proposition because it's just kind of, for the most part, about pilots hanging out. One of them dies, the other feels bad about it, and then they don't fight the Russians. <laughs> you know, it's like this really weird movie that somehow became a huge success because of the the star power of its of its star and because of the 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 stunts in the uh, flying sequences. So it's kind of weird to think that someone would think, okay, we need to revisit this character 34 years later and see how how they're getting on. I think I'm just going to watch Hot Shots 1 and 2 again instead. Mm. Yeah, where's Hot Shots in part 2? That's what we need. That is what we need. The Sheens are up for it. I am. Uh, and you know, talking about comedy sequels that are actually being made, we go into August with Bill and Ted Face the Music. And... Uh, I, I have to say, of all of the Lego sequels that we've had over the last couple of years, um, you know, obviously the, the biggest being The Force Awakens, but also Ghostbusters Afterlife kind of falling into this sort of thing as well. This feels like the one that I'm the most kind of giddy about seeing just because there truly is no kind of big expectation for it. You know, like they don't need to be massively reverential for it because the original movies are these kind of goofy, delightful, silly comedies that star these two charismatic leads and have weirdly complicated plots, but also uh, the pl where the plots don't really matter that much. It's just about these two goofy guys going around, you know, history or the underworld. And that in and of itself is pretty fun. And I think that there is, there is something inherently very funny and likable about people saying like hey why don't we just do another one of those <laughs> and maybe not treating it as this kind of like sacrosanct sacred text especially because so many of the original creative team are back for this one in terms of the, the writers obviously and the uh, the stars and uh, mainly though one of the things i'm really excited about it is it's being directed by uh, dean parasot who previously directed galaxy quest which is one of my favorite movies I'm so open to having Bill and Ted back because the thing is their messages be excellent to each other and they are these really daft and kind characters and I think that's exactly what we need more of. Mm, yeah, and uh, there's just something really sweet about the movie being at least partly about them having daughters now and them naming their daughters after each other, <laughs> which is just such a, a lovely uh, encapsulation of the friendship between between Bill and Ted. And before we, we wrap up, we'll also talk about some of the Netflix movies that are coming out over the course of the year because those aren't currently dated because, you know, Netflix don't need to put a date on anything they make. They can just put it out whenever. Um, but there was a long Twitter thread the other day from the Netflix film account in which they listed off some of the movies they're working on. And so these will be coming out over the course of the year that sound particularly interesting. Uh, the Old Guard by uh, Gina prince Bythewood, who is probably most famous for Love and Basketball and Beyond the Lights, which is about a group of uh, immortal mercenaries who fight across time, which is somewhat different from her previous work, but uh, does sound like it could be really, really fun. Uh, Mank, the latest film from David Fincher, who... Uh, hasn't made a feature film since Gone Girl, which seems crazy. Um, largely because he uh, spent years and years trying to make a sequel to World War Z, of all things, uh, which didn't come together. But uh, about the life of uh, Herman J. Mankiewicz, the guy who co-wrote Citizen Kane with Orson Welles, I think is also about the, the making of that movie, which could be quite fun. 
a new version of Rebecca, which I know you're quite excited about. Oh, I am very excited about because mainly Ben Wheatley and Amy Jump are mm, helming yeah. this. Army Hammer's in it, and I will watch actually anything with him in it. So as as combinations go, I think it's going to be if anyone's going to adapt Rebecca, then it should be Ben Wheatley and Amy Jump because that's just a creative team that will always be able to find something dark in even the darkest of places. Like how mm. scientists keep developing super black, you know, that manage to absorb even more light. So yeah, I'm, I'm into it. Uh, we also have the latest from Spike Lee called De Five Bloods, which is all about uh, four African-American veterans who returned to Vietnam searching for their fallen squad leader in order to, uh, presumably to bring his remains back, but also because they think there's buried treasure which has uh, some really good uh, people involved. Chadwick Boseman, Paul Walter Hauser, uh, Delroy Lindo. And yeah, like Spike Lee is someone who, I, even his bad movies are interesting, uh, and who, on the back of the success of Black Klansman, I'm happy to see being given uh, a, you know, the resources to do something that maybe a couple of years ago he wouldn't have been able to get made when he was you know struggling to get features made, going to Kickstarter to get movies put together. Um, it's nice to see him getting the chance to do something on what, on what feels like a, a larger scale than he's done for a while. Oh, the, the last thing he wanted, which is an adaptation of a Joan Didion book by uh, directed by Dee Reese, who previously directed uh, Pariah and Mudbound, uh, in a rare starring role for Anne Hathaway, who isn't in enough things. Agreed. So that th those are kind of like the main ones from Netflix slate that really uh, leapt out to me, and I'm sure we'll be in for plenty of surprises over the course of the year as more mo as movies get picked up at festivals, as you know, um, dates get moved around because they have to fix the Sonic again. I'm sure there'll be plenty of things that come up over the course of the of the year. It should be hopefully an interesting one, and hopefully. <laughs> The uh, the meagre selection of blockbusters will yield something interesting because to go a year without something like, you know, a Mission Impossible Fallout at the very least that you can go and watch and say, hey, this is like just a wonderfully made, blob made blockbuster uh, is, is just kind of a drag, really. Oh, yeah. Uh, so we'll end this episode as we end all our episodes with Shot Reverse Shot Recommends, which we talk about a piece of culture that we've enjoyed and we think you, the listeners, will enjoy as well. Emily, what have you got to recommend for the listeners this week? I have a book to recommend, Ed. Mm. One of them old uh, words on pages, malarkeys. Mm. Um, it is Bird by Bird, uh, written by Anne Lamott. The subtitle being Instructions in Life and Writing. And it was recommended to me by a friend of mine. And it is such a beautifully written book about writing beautifully. And it's part autobiography, part writing guide. It's wholly soothing. I think it's really interesting, even if you're not a writer, um, to look into this very sort of no-nonsense and yet also quite spiritual idea of practising writing. Um, and it's a lot better than On Writing by Stephen King. Um, so there you go. Uh, on Writing's quite good when he gets hit by a car halfway through. <laughs> yeah, that is a turning point. Uh, yeah, that's what that's one of those books where you you don't realise... I mean, I obviously knew that he had been hit by a car. I, I wasn't quite aware 
that it becomes like this pivotal thing where the book kind of shifts halfway through to being a very different thing. Um, but yeah, that 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 book sounds uh, sounds fantastic. I uh, am going to recommend a movie. Now, one of my uh, New Year's resolutions that I've set for myself is to try and watch more movies by directors I've heard of but never actually gone out and you know experienced their work. And uh, so I decided to watch the movie A Silent Voice, which is directed by Naoko Yamada. It's an anime about a, a teenage boy who uh, bullies a deaf classmate uh, to the point that she has to leave the class that they're both in. And the repercussions of that act on him and her and on their kind of wider circle of friends over the course of the next few years of their life as he is tries to make amends for this as you know she tries to reconcile you know the the pain that he's caused her with her desire to try and see the best in people and i just think it's a really beautiful movie about the difficulty of forgiveness both seeking and giving it um the writing in it is really sharp in terms of the way in which those processes can take a very long time it's quite episodic because it's based on a manga but that really benefits the story because you it, it kind of wraps up the will she forgive him part of the story relatively early and then it becomes more about how that isn't the end of it for either of them you know there's still pain underneath it all he still has his own problems with anxiety which is uh beautifully illustrated by having him unable to look people in the eye and their eyes all being represented by giant crosses across their faces and when he makes a connection with people the crosses kind of like peel off and fall to the ground it's just a really beautiful beautifully made movie um wonderfully animated and uh, i found it to be uh, really really deeply moving so uh, i recommend that to anyone who has a kind of like a passing anime interest in anime it's currently on us netflix i'm sure it's readily available elsewhere and that's a silent voice the movie if you've enjoyed this episode of the show then please subscribe to us on itunes stitcher player fm spotify all the usual places you can also find us on facebook and twitter where we are at srs underscore podcast we'll be back next week with something entirely different but until then it's goodbye from me and goodbye from me